Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's expert in football finance, Kieran Maguire. Uh, Kieran, I don't think either of us would actually describe football as beautiful just at the moment, would we? Uh, no, I, I think we'll both uh, uh, put a veil over recent results yes. for our clubs. I, I think it does show the difference between uh, the, the big six clubs post-pandemic when they've got the advantage of having nine quality players on the bench as well. So, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah the, the monetary issues are, are quite intriguing uh, in terms of the gap that's now showing between the top and the and the non-top. And uh, I think we, we both know in which uh, camp we are in. Yeah, yeah that, that's fine for you, Kieran, but we lost to Burnley. You, you, lo- you lost to Man United, we lost to Burnley. You, you also lost to Liverpool. Oh, yeah, but that's fine. That's take, that, was, that was taken as red. Liverpool was taken as red. Losing to Burnley, a team who had two goalkeepers on the bench and four minutes of... of, of Premier League experience was uh, pretty unforgivable. My only consolation the other night was, Kieran, that we had uh, we had a couple of theatre and comedy producers around for a socially distanced meeting, obviously, because we're trying to work out how we can get back on stage. Because um, as you may be aware, that the comedy clubs and theatres have been told they can open on Saturday, but uh, they can't do shows, which is handy. Um, uh, so we've been trying to, we were trying to work out how we could start earning some money. So I was yes. sort of doing five minutes on and five minutes off with the game and the meeting and my one consolation at the end was I probably can't afford a season ticket next year. So that's that really cheered me up. Well, if we're grumpy, Kieran, then Wigan fans are going to be even less chipper than us because just a few minutes ago it was announced that Wigan Athletic had gone into administration. Now, we spoke about them uh, very, very recently and you used the word shenanigans. So what do you make of this in the short time you've had to assimilate the news? Um, it, it looks as if the the new owners of uh, Wigan Athletic, uh, a company called The Next Leader Fund, uh, owned by a guy called Al Young, um, has uh, has effectively bought the club, for, for, we think, for around about 17 to 18 million pounds hmm. and, and then immediately turned the taps off. Uh, Wigan were losing nine million pounds a year before COVID. So therefore... It's a bit like you know buying a new house and not having a survey done on it. You you need to know what your running costs are, and it looks like he's he's either not done due diligence or has has done an immediate U turn in in respect of uh, uh, committing to to underwriting the losses of the club. But isn't he the chap that sold the club to himself, bought the bought the club, and then sold it to himself? Technically, is how you described it. Yeah, it's it's trying to get into the the individual shareholdings. He Al Young he owned uh, a minority stake in the club. Right. Um, that the majority was owned by uh, Stanley Choi of IEC. Now IEC run casinos and hotels in the Philippines, so therefore they've got no experience of running a a football club in Lancashire. Neither is Al Young. Some sort of deal has been done between the two. Perhaps it was done at the casino, for all we know. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was it was transferred over. Um, but within within literally a couple of weeks, uh, no money was being pumped in to pay for the day to day costs, and it's gone into administration with the administrators saying, "Well, we're looking to sell it uh, and find a new owner." And and what's interesting as well, the administrator. Uh, quashed the the rumour. I think we all immediately suspected, of course, that it would be COVID-related. 
that the administrator was very keen to point out that that isn't necessarily the case and that it had previously, i.e. before this sale, had previously been a well-run club and there was no reason to believe that this would happen and that he didn't think it had been accelerated by the virus. So that's, it, it, I don't know if that's any small consolation to Wigan fans, but it probably is to fans of other clubs, isn't it, who were, who were worried about a domino effect maybe. But very much so. Certainly under Dave Whelan, Wigan were one of the, the best-run clubs in, in England, as far as I was concerned. You know, Dave, Dave ran a really tight ship. He, he, make sure, he made sure that every purchase was authorised by himself. He, he didn't allow uh, any fat on the bone, as far as the club was concerned. Um, and clearly it took them into the, the Premier League. They won the FA Cup and so on. Uh, but when he sold it in, uh, in November 2018. I mean, Dave's now 83 years old, so you can understand it from his point of view that uh, he didn't feel it was right for him to carry on any further. Um, he, he left a, a really well-run organisation, but, but very quickly the losses accelerated and uh, the people who, who did take over, that they didn't appear to have much experience of, of running a, a club. Um, so, you know, we, we, we have done a little bit of homework and, and I'm indebted to one of the listeners to the pod, Nigel Lee, who's, uh, who's one of our listeners in Hong Kong. He, he runs a, a Chinese football finance website. He sort of supplied me with the details as to the, the, the people involved. Uh, well, thank you for that, Nigel. And I suspect we might be picking your brains again in the next few weeks. I, I, it makes you wonder whether the new owners hadn't noticed the fact that Wigan were no longer a, a Premier League club and it had been a couple of years since they won the FA Cup. So um, there's a couple of things here. We, first of all, what's next? I mean, there's an automatic 12-point deduction, but I, I, you, you can sort of explain to us why that might not take place immediately. And also, I think we need to reassure Wigan fans... Um, and, and I can confirm this as a Palace fan, administration doesn't necessarily spell disaster and doesn't necessarily spell liquidation. It's it's basically, for the moment, the club are in the hands of more capable people, essentially, aren't they? That very much so. So if we look at both of those issues in turn, um, under EFL rules, there is an automatic 12-point penalty if a club goes into administration. Um, but to, to stop clubs from manipulating the rules... We don't know as yet when that uh, that rule will be applied. If Wigan are relegated on the basis of the matches they play this season, um, they'll start next year on minus 12 points. Yeah. But if they're above the relegation zone, the deduction will be, will be put onto them uh, this season in the championship. So it could actually tip them from... Uh, and at present, I think they're eight points above uh, the relegation zone. It yeah. could actually tip them back into uh, being in the bottom three. So it could have a significant impact. And again, it, it makes you wonder what on earth are these new owners doing with you know, a month of the season left? If Wigan had survived, they could at least have tried to sell the club as a championship club. And you know, the fact that next season you know, they, they will be playing the likes of you know, Forest, possibly Derby, who, who may or may not go up, but yeah. Sheffield Wednesday and other big clubs in that division. If, if you're selling it as a League One club, you're going to get a fraction of the price. Mm. That that manipulation you talked about, by the way, was it, it's the notion that a club that are are in trouble will wait to see if they're relegated, and then once they're relegated, will go into administration, and the twelve point deduction would therefore have no uh, relevance. But that's the, a loophole that the EFL have closed. In in terms of what happens next for Wigan and what administration actually entails, I, I'm guessing that most of our listeners. Are erudite enough about football finance to know what administration entails. But for those who are new 
to the pod. Can perhaps again you can reassure the Wigan fans as well who will be listening to this that it isn't, as I said, necessarily a disaster. No, we've seen, I think it's been about 40 clubs have gone into administration over the years. If you think about Leicester City, they went into administration and, and they came back and they won the Premier League. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it, it's not it's not the death of a club. The whole point about administration is to effectively give it a form of a safety net. It's to stop uh, creditors putting it into liquidation when all the assets would have to be sold. So what's going to happen now is that the people involved, and, and they do have a lot of experience of uh, of running football clubs, um, they they will advertise it for sale. Um, they'll show people rounds. They'll try to get as good a price as possible um, with a view to you know, the maximum that they can get from selling the club means that the more money can be given to creditors. So whoever takes over... Uh, will will acquire the assets of Wigan Athletic, but not the liabilities, not the debts. Hmm. And uh, they they must be fairly attractive to a buyer. I mean, I know they're not the, the the biggest supported club in in the country in terms of numbers, but in terms of recent history and recent romance, they're an attractive proposition. I, I would have thought, aren't they? Yes, and remember the rugby club play there as well. So you've got additional sources of income, which would normally take place during the summer months in a in a you know a non pandemic world. So yeah, that they have they have been quite smart. They own quite a few bits of property in and around uh, the town, is my understanding. So mm. yes, it, it would be a, a decent buy, and, and it's a club which which has proven in, in the past, uh, certain under under Roberto Martinez, of, of being capable of not only getting into the uh, into the Premier League, but staying there as well. So, uh, you know, the stadium is is not going to need a huge amount of maintenance. It's still relatively new. Um, it's got a, it's got a very good catchment area if it's in one of the higher divisions. So, you know, there's there's plenty of big northern clubs who, who will come and fill it as uh, from an away fans perspective. Mm. So, there's lots of positives uh, for for anybody that's interested in buying. Uh, and finally, Kieran, and it's a question that I'm guessing. Many, many thousands of our listeners will be uh, asking me in their head to ask, uh, or indeed would be treating if I didn't ask. These these two new owners who, who in a matter of weeks, uh, bought the club and put it into administration, they passed the EFL's uh, fit and proper person test, did they, as club owners? Um, yes, I mean, Al Young with, with the Next Leader Fund. Uh, but remember that those tests, are we, we need to find out a bit more from the EFL. Um, in terms of the criminality uh, test, which is one of them, that appears to have been passed. I, I went on to the Wigan website and it did say that the new owners had passed the, the finance test, which is, do you have proof of funding? But, but having money is one thing. Being yeah. prepared to spend it on the football club appears to be uh, something, uh, it was an avenue that they're not prepared to go down. And yeah, perhaps we need to be revisiting these tests and say that when you acquire a football club, you've got to put down a substantial bond um, mm. to to allow the club to to prevent the issues that we've seen, not just at Wigan. But remember, there were similar issues taking place at Charlton Athletic when Roland de Chachelet sold it at the end of last year. Yeah, or perhaps we could use this as another reason to make another attempt to ask somebody at the EFL if they'd like to come on the podcast. But um, we won't hold our breath in between time. Um, so, Kieran, that's some some very big news to start today's pod with. But we do have other stories, and guess what? Some of them are good. Well, goodish. This story we have it's a it's a big one, and it's it's about our old friends, the football agents, Kieran. Um, it's been revealed. Uh, I never know who reveals these things. Guy sends these questions and says it's been revealed. I sometimes worry 
who's who's revealed this? Because you know, you and I are from South London backgrounds, Kieran. There's a fine <laughs> there's a fine line between revealing and grassing, essentially. <laughs> it's, been, it's been revealed that in the 2019-20 season, the Premier League paid out more than two hundred and sixty-three million pounds to football agents. So that's between the twenty clubs, more than two hundred and sixty-three million pounds. Who spent the most, Kieran, and who spent the least? Um, well, uh, Liverpool spent the most, or, or the bigliest, I think it is now the official term for that. Um, so they spent just over thirty million. And I think what's intriguing about the Liverpool figure is: uh, c- can you name any people they signed during that period? No, no. During that Good. period, no, I can't. Good question. No. Uh, so, so what what Liverpool have done is um, they've focused their their uh, agent spending on existing players and extending contracts. So so we always tend to think that the likes of Rayola uh, and so on, they get these massive commissions from when star players move. But what we are seeing, and this, this information actually has come from the, from the Football Association itself, it, it publishes this once a year. Um, it, it's for and it and it lists out all of the contracts to which those that those commissions were involved, um, and and in Liverpool's case, it, it's all to do with with uh, keeping you know, some of their their star names at the club for for a longer period of time, uh, and, and given the way that they have played this season, you can you can understand that uh, that why that is the case. It, it, there's there's no standard commission fee, is there, in for football agents? It's like in my business, it's normally fifteen percent. Uh, is it, presumably in football, each agent gets paid differently depending on their experience and depending on the the, the sort of quality of the player they represent. That's right, and and then when you start to dig into the details, and and I, I did contact Jonathan, who who came on the show uh, last year. Yes. Uh, in in respect of of the role of the agent, um, remember the agent can be representing the selling club. He, he can be representing the buying club. He yeah. can be representing the player. He could even represent all three, which you would think would be a conflict of interest, but uh, uh, that, that that doesn't appear to be the case. Um, and, and in terms of agents, they they either get a percentage of the gross. Uh, and remember, th- this two hundred and sixty-three million pounds is just the money the agents are earning from the clubs. It doesn't include the money that they're earning from the players. Right. They will be getting a percentage of, of the players' wage, um, or they, they might have charged them a fixed fee. Um, so it, it, it does get quite complicated. But I, I think that two hundred and sixty-three million is uh, is uh, is far from the total figure. That's uh, that's coming from agencies, which which makes you understand why so many people are are keen to become agents. Because, mm. as I understand it, um, you simply have to go and pay six hundred pounds to the the football association as a fee, effectively a registration fee. You don't need a reference. You don't need any qualifications. You don't need any pre- exams in respect of the issue. You don't even need a police check uh, un- unless you're representing players who are sixteen or seventeen. So it. You, you can see why so many people are attracted to it, given the numbers involved. Now, some uh, pubs are opening on Saturday. Uh, we've got plans to watch the Leicester game, Palace game, if it, if it takes place in a friend's garden. Um, but it so happens that the Porson's Arms, which is the, our Palace pub, lies between my house and the friend's garden. So I, I, I made a promise that I would pop in 
and have my first pint in a long time. And psychologically, I'm looking forward to it. I guarantee that if there are any other Palace fans in there, this question will be asked me because it's the question I get asked most commonly by people about this pod. And that is, what if if players were the only people who paid the agents? Would there be more money in football if players paid agents and football clubs didn't pay the agents for anything unless the agent were doing something specific for the club itself? So if a player in a transfer deal, he pays, pays the agent's fees, the money stays in football. Is that true? Um, I, I, I guess it would, but all that would perhaps happen under those circumstances is that the transfer fee might be higher. Because if, if you are if you are selling a player um, or buying a player and you're, you're banking or budgeting for, let's say, £50 million plus £5 million for the agent, the selling club will know that and they'll, they, they will now try to charge you £55 million. Right. So I'm, I'm not sure that that would necessarily work. But also remember, is, is that fair on the players? Because the players aren't necessarily agitating for a move, are they? It's the, it's the selling club has yeah. put a price on them. Um, effectively, you know, sends out or or the or gets an agent to to send out to interested clubs that you know such and such is available, um, and it's a bit like selling a house. You know, the reason why I'd use an estate agent is because they they do all of that type of work, which which I as a player wouldn't necessarily be familiar with. Yeah, do you have your agent fee spreadsheet in front of you on your lap? Um, sort of, yes. Okay, well, because I want to ask about a specific club, and surprisingly, it's it's not Palace. Um, Wolves are a team every football fan admires. I love watching Wolves. I would I would actually pay money to go and see Wolves play. I think they're a brilliant club, very well run club, very well managed club. But there, there's always been slight discussions, you know, behind the back of the hand about their, their relationship with with agents. How much did Wolves pay out to agents in that? Um, last I think Wolves are around about. Uh, 10 11 so you know it wasn't particularly so big oh, okay uh you know palace paid eight the smallest was burnley at four um if, if you take a look at the uh the wolves figures um most most of their their signings were were the, cl- the players that came up from the from the championship is that so that's interesting so yeah they, they had an absolutely fantastic uh they had a fantastic squad. They ripped up the the championship in the year they came up. They yeah. do have a very close relationship with uh, one of the super agents. Yeah, which is why I so, asked the question. Yeah. Um, so that they, they you know, so therefore through, through him. So I'm just checking my numbers here. Um, so no, theirs was eight point six. I got it wrong. Um, so yeah, so that they were you know pretty average. Okay, that's interesting. I'm glad you admitted to getting it wrong on air. We wouldn't want tweets again, would we? We wouldn't want Swiss Ramble getting involved, telling us we were 1.6 million quid out. Um, I think that was, um, if this was live, that would be a a very unusual moment on the show because our listeners got got the chance to hear you checking something on air. You could almost (laughs) hear the rustle of the spreadsheet. You could almost hear the the Baroness tutting in the kitchen. and in the background, I'm not implying that as the, that you make the Baroness stay in the kitchen while you do the, the podcast. Doing that would be unfair. <laughs> I'm not um, that northern. No, <laughs> they're your words, not mine. Everybody tweet him, not me. Um, <laughs> uh, the FA has confirmed uh, it's going to make over a hundred people redundant, which is never good news. Uh, at what sort of level are these redundancies happening here? 
Well, it, it's 124 jobs in total. Now, um, sort of ha- having gone into the, the small print, they did have 42 vacancies, which they've now withdrawn. So oh, it looks okay. like 82 people are going to be losing their jobs. Um, now, m- m- my main concern is at what level is this going to be? Yeah. Um, clearly, uh, you know, there are places such as St. George's Park in Burton, which which does have a, you know, a, a large number of employees of the FA. It would be a shame if, if that w- was being concentrated. Um, yeah, the, 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 the FA has said that it's, it's going to cost around about £300 million this year to have to deal with COVID. Um, a bit like Spurs, they, they have gone to the banks and they're, they're borrowing um, up to £200 million at half a percent interest. Uh, because they're being hit, because you know, clearly the England matches won't be taking place, so so that's yeah. very lucrative. They were hosting a number of the Euro 2020 matches. Uh, I, I was, I think, I was due to go to a concert at Wembley this summer, um, and then the, the thing, it's things like the cup finals, where the FA make a huge amount of money from you know merchandising and catering and things of that nature. In general, that will be lost, um, and, and the FA does have a big hospitality uh, arm. Which uh, sort of offers, uh, you know, off- offers meals and things of that nature uh, when matches are not taking place because you've got many corporates who simply like to, uh, you know, have something hosted at Wembley. So, so all in all, it, it is it is struggling. Um, the senior staff at uh, the FA have have taken pay cuts. I think Gareth pay, uh, Gareth Southgate is taking thirty percent. Um, I think you know quite a few of the Blazers are taking fifteen percent as well. Uh, but they, they, you know, they won't, they won't go too short. Uh, yeah. You know, you've got these blokes in the in their sixties who are earning, you know, eight hundred grand a year. So th- don't don't worry too much about them. Uh, and, and everybody who's earning more than fifty thousand pounds at the FA has been asked to take a seven and a half percent cut. So it is tiered. You know, the the, the people on the highest uh, pay packets are taking the biggest reductions, which which is good to see. I think it is that is a progressive way to deal with it. It is good to see, actually, because I was I was about to get angry and, and point out that there are other ways than making people redundant. That, for example, you could not pay bonuses to top earners, or you could cut the wages of top earners. But they've already done that, so that's that's pulled the rug from under my uh, left wing feet. But I'm pleased to hear that is the is the case. Um, I don't think there is a sadder behind closed doors sight this week than the playoff final at Wembley X to Northampton. You just, I mean, not only do you really know you're in an empty stadium and it's at Wembley, but just Northampton players losing the opportunity to celebrate with their fans made me rather sad. I'm sure Exeter fans won't agree. I, I do have to ask you, Kieran, of course, because there will be tens of thousands of people listening to this saying, "Oh, yeah, which concert was Kieran going to at Wembley? Can we can we have that information?" I, I can't. Was it the Killers? I think it was the Killers. Was it really? Yeah, oh, that's that, okay. That's 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 good. I was thought you, you might say a Meridian reunion concert or something. Which is, Killers I mean, is great. I would, I would have gone. I would have gone to that with you. Oh, well, um, you, might, you might have to. With the, the, the Baroness isn't that asked? <laughs> yeah. Oh, there are so many things going through my mind now, but I'm too mature to say any of them. Um, some some Sheffield Wednesday players have not been paid in full this month. Now, when Guy sent this question through last evening, uh, the word "some." Uh, drew my attention there. Some Sheffield Wednesday players, why, why is that true? Only some Sheffield Wednesday players and, and were the Sheffield Wednesday players made aware in advance that they wouldn't be paid in full this month? 
Well, the, the story uh, the story broke overnight, as it were, um, and it, and it came through on on the BBC Look North website. So uh, it, it's not the first time this potentially has happened. There were rumours about it in December as well, although the club denied it. Um, but it, it doesn't doesn't look too great. Uh, you, you know, Wednesday are up on charges. Um, they've if the players haven't been paid in full when some of their biggest earners, so, you know, the likes of Forestieri, um, I, I think Stephen uh, Stephen something or other, I can't remember his surname now. Um, he's he's not. I think he's leaving as well. Um, so, so some some of their players uh, who have you know done very well for the club historically and been very well paid. Uh, they're out of contract. Those are not being renewed. So it, it does suggest that, that Wednesday are trying to cut back on their costs. Um, by all accounts, the club has been asked to comment uh, by both the local paper and the, the local TV station, but um, uh, no, nothing's come out of it. So it, it, it creates a bit of an uncertainty, uh, especially when, uh, as you're probably aware, although contracts expire on the 30th of June, um, most players do get a month's grace in terms of uh, their July payments as well. So it, it's all a bit messy. OK, um, time now, Kieran, for what seems to be uh, a weekly trip to Wearside uh, for another Sunderland story. It's um, I'm sure Sunderland fans would love to have a couple of weeks off. Um, but Sunderland have told staff they will be extending the furlough scheme through July and August, which is good, but they won't be topping up salaries anymore to the full amount. That that's right. Uh, so you know, under the uh, under the job retention scheme, as it officially is called, you know, we refer to it as furlough. Um, the the, uh, the chancellor has said that the government will cover eighty percent of the first two and a half thousand pounds a month, uh, and then it's optional as to what happens with the remainder of the pay packet. Um, Sunderland have said, well, we're not going to uh, to top up. They've been a bit coy as to whether this refers to players as well. Oh, okay. um, so, so where that will leave players um, in terms of are they allowed to walk away? Are Sunderland able to command a, a transfer fee for them uh, is is uncertain. Um, and, and also, you know, Sunderland. Uh, if you look at, we, we just mentioned Wednesday. We just mentioned Sunderland. Uh, we also had Derby not paying their uh, players or staff in full a, a few months ago as well. What's all three of those clubs got in common? They, they've not published their accounts. And, and as you know, people think I get a, a bee in my bonnet about this, but uh, it, there's never, a, in my view, a good reason to, to not publish information. Um, and, and I think it's perhaps more than a coincidence that these three clubs have, have got issues in, in terms of paying staff um, and, and are not publishing information. Uh, and remember, that information is for the fans because hmm. at, at the same time as we're talking about this, the clubs are, are asking fans, please don't ask for a refund in an ideal situation. You know, mm. do you want to put it towards next year's season ticket and, and so on? Um, you know, fans have been absolutely brilliant. Uh, you know, where that where they've been able to afford to do so, um, but clubs are still treating them at sort of a bit arm's length, and I, I think that's very harsh. You know, we are the biggest investors in football. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. 
In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Were those accounts to be published, though, or when those accounts are published, they wouldn't specifically mention that in a given month some players didn't get paid. Wouldn't wouldn't it just reveal an annual salary figure and then it would take somebody with forensic knowledge like you to, to look at the accounts and go, well, hang on a second, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't work out. So, you know, it, it's brilliant. Of course they should publish accounts, but the likes of me looking at it wouldn't spot anything amiss, would they? Well, but perhaps not. But it, it, it's your club, you know. Yeah. So, so surely, as an investor in your, if if the club is on the one hand saying, "Look, we'd rather you didn't ask for a, a refund for, for the remaining matches on your season ticket," um, surely you have the right to say, "Well, under those circumstances, show me the numbers. You know, at least at least be transparent with me." And, and that's what these clubs are, are declining to do. They seem to want yeah. to have their cake and eat it. Um, and while Sunderland haven't published those accounts, um, a, a little birdie did send me an email with some very interesting numbers relating to the accounts, um, which suggested that uh, the owners are saying, well, we're not taking a salary as such. But what yeah. they're doing is that you know, perhaps they're invoicing the club through other companies for their services. So, it, again, it's this, this doublespeak that makes you feel uncomfortable um, when we want to think good things about our club, it doesn't matter which club you support. You, you want to have that sense that it's been doing the right things for the right reasons. Well, that sort of illustrates what I was trying to say. The, 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 the thing is, for a football fan like me, Kieran, it's 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 the little it's the little birdie that I get my information from because, like most fans, I wouldn't be able to interpret a club set of accounts. I, I like most fans, I, I hope and assume that my club act in good faith. And, and all fans are always horrified to hear that that's not the case. And fans get very defensive about their clubs. Of course they do. And I'm sure I would do that if we were, this story was about about Palace. But, you know, if, if you were to put Sunderland's accounts in front of me and say, look, this, this the wages thing looks a bit a bit dodgy, I, w- I wouldn't, unless you were there to, to show me why, I wouldn't know. And I think most football fans are, are the same. And I think football clubs take advantage of that, don't they? They they, they realise that most football fans aren't really going to do anything other than look at the bottom line or say, how much are we in debt? Are we in any trouble of, of going out of business? If not, then I'm not interested in the accounts. Yeah, because we we go to football to get away from that Absolutely, garbage. yeah. yeah. So, so that that's perfectly understandable. At the same time, yeah, there there's far smarter people than myself that that will be looking at it, and and every club is somebody who's uh, is the, who's the equivalent of a Bobby Numbers amongst the fan base yeah. who will say, well, yeah, you know, yeah, let's, yeah. let's just take a look at this. We're not trying to catch clubs out. We're just trying to make sure that the the, the thing which is you know, after our family is probably one of the things we love most in our lives is is doing is behaving in an appropriate manner. 
Yeah, both on, on, on and off the football pitch. Yes, um, uh, Kira, let's not fool people that you you don't go to football to get away from that garbage. We all know what you do at half time. It's a spreadsheet. While the rest of us are <laughs> vainly queuing for a pint and a pie, you're you're just spreading out like an old lady with a blanket on her lap. Um, now we do have some more upbeat stories. I'm, I'm pleased to say. Um, first of all, the Premier League has offered English women's football one million pounds to help them start the 2020-21 season. Um, it doesn't seem a massive amount of money, but it's it's an amount of money which is good. Yes, I mean th- this has come from uh, Richard Masters, who's the, the the new the new big cheese at the Premier League, um, and, and this money is aimed at uh, paying for for testing because one of the reasons why the Women's Super League was cancelled uh, this season was simply that the if you take a look at the costs of continuing when you've got no money coming in, yes, you've got wages. The wages in women's football aren't huge um compared to uh, compared to men's football as we know it's 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 a it's a, a very small fraction um so therefore the the testing costs become disproportionately larger um so the 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 premier league has made this suggestion it's also suggested that it takes over um, the, the running of women's football from the FA itself, oh. uh, although not necessarily immediately. I think it wants to concentrate on on finishing this season and having some form of structure for the Premier League next season. And, and that, that could work uh, to the benefit because it might be able to sell the rights alongside the Premier League men's rights uh, you know, as a complete package. Um, and things of that nature. So that could be beneficial for women's football uh, as a whole package. Um in terms of a restart date for the WSL, uh, you know, a bit like the National League, because it's it's dependent upon uh, match day income and things of that nature, there's no sign of a return, um, I, I suspect, before we have uh, the, the, the green light from, from the health authorities in terms of when people can have mass gatherings. Well, see, this is the problem for the women's game and for the men's game. And they were discussing this on, on Sky last night um, during your game. Although, to be fair, Kieran, it was just after United had scored their third goal, so I was still laughing and missed a bit of it. But it's, <laughs> it, it, it's very difficult for both the women and the men to plan for next season when we don't know when next season will start. I mean, how do you, I mean how do how do clubs start you know broadcasting not just broadcasting deals but advertising deals, sponsorship deals? If you know they, they said last night at Sky it could be September, it could be October. It's it's almost impossible for clubs to to work things out. And for, and for the the women's game and the, and the men's game at lower levels, it's, it makes it even more difficult, doesn't it? As you say. Yes, yes. I mean, the clubs are so dependent upon getting fans in to watch the match. But also, I think, you know, in terms of women's football, they're trying to grow the game. The the national team is doing really well and gets fantastic crowds. Yeah. Women's women's football is uh, is more erratic in terms of the numbers attending, but they are they are trying to sort of uh, come through the tailwinds of, of the the women's national team. Um, it's it's going to be a problem. You can't restart until we get the okay from the government, and as we've seen with sort of local lockdowns in respect of Leicester arising this week, we could be back to some form of lockdown in the autumn. For all we know, yeah. Um, as a Palace fan, uh, and I'm sure Everton fans will be thinking about this as well because Leicester is due there tonight. Uh, politically, that's a really strange situation. The Leicester lockdown one because it. It, it's it's all very well, and I believe the club absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I think Premier League clubs are probably the safest environment in the country at the moment in terms of 
uh, cleanliness, hygiene, testing, etc. But if if I was a, a citizen of Leicester and I was in lockdown for another two weeks, I'm not entirely sure I'd be pleased to, to wave the Leicester City football team off to a, on a coach to Liverpool or whether I'd be entirely pleased to see 35 people coming up from South London on on Saturday. It seems, just for the, for the look of the thing, it, it would seem to me much better to play a neutral ground or, or postpone the game. What do you think? Yep, yeah. I, I, uh, health health has got to come first, and, and it it's difficult to see by having matches take place at the King Power how that would be the case. Yeah, especially when you've told the rest of the city they've got to stay indoors. It's strange. And now, this next the next two stories are kind of related a little bit to this because they involve the cost of testing, etc. But remember, we had a chat last week here about clubs not physically being able to afford to compete in the National League playoffs. Uh, but Chester FC have confirmed they will take part in the National League North playoffs and the players will play for nothing. Now, I'm I'm always quite chuffed when I learn about a story via tweets from the fans of a club, which is what happened here. We had loads of messages from Chester City fans saying this was a good story that we had to talk about. And we're always happy to talk about stories that come from the fans. So, and this is this is not a deferral either, Kieran. The players haven't said they'll take the money at a future date. They've had, they've just said we don't we don't want to be paid. We want to play. Don't worry about us. Yeah, I mean, and this is Chester FC. Remember, Chester City went yep. out of business. So, yep, yep. so Chester FC is a fan-owned club. Um, and I, I get quite a few um, emails from Dr. Les, who's a big Chester FC fan. And I think we've got an invite to the Diva. So perhaps uh, we, we might pop up there one day. Uh, to see what what life's like in the national league, um, but I think it's fantastic of the players to say that both their wages and the bonus, promotion bonuses and playoff bonuses, they're going to set those aside because they want to play football. And I think yeah. sometimes, yeah, you know, we we have become a little bit jaundiced on this podcast that you know the, the nature of money and and the greed which is sometimes expressed by by people, and most of the time not players themselves. Uh, I think this is this is fantastic from the players themselves. Um, so they've got a playoff uh, due against Altrincham. Yeah. Um, they're not even guaranteed contracts if if they do get promoted. Yeah. Remember, the contracts in the National League expired on the 30th of April. But this is a sign of we got young men who who love playing football. And, yeah, of course. and if they don't get paid, so what? It's, it's a chance to win something. Um, it's, it's a chance to uh, to go up to a, a new challenge. And fair play to them for taking that approach. Yeah. Well, also, they love playing football, but clearly in this situation have an affection and a respect for, for Chester FC because you, you you wouldn't do it just for the sake of playing football. I mean, if you, if you didn't like the club or its fans, you'd say you'd walk away. So it's clearly um, uh, it, it's it's a, a reward for the loyalty of Chester fans, if you like, as well. And, and on, a, on a similar note, in the National League South, Bath City have launched a crowdfunding scheme to help them take part in the playoffs. And just to, to sort of give an idea for listeners of what the figures are, Bath City need to raise £35,000 to take part in the playoffs. It doesn't seem a lot of money to Premier League football fans, but to Bath City, it's an awful lot. And the reason they need the money, and it's the same with Chester City, all players and staff have got to be tested at least four times during the, the playoff process. That takes a lot of money. Managers, players and coaches have got to be taken back off furlough, especially at Bath. The manager was on, on furlough. You've got all the extra travelling costs because coaches have to be deep cleaned before and afterwards. So, yeah, we're, I think it's important that people know where this money's going. And they, so they've launched a crowdfunding scheme. They've got, as of this morning, more than £14,000 already, which is brilliant. So it looks like they might be able to, to get it. So it, it just shows, though, that clubs are... It's not just the players. Clubs are desperate to take part in some kind of 
normal football process as well. Yes, very much so. And it goes back to the roots of football. Um, I mean, they've actually now raised 36 grand, so which is fantastic. And, that's, and that's, they've that's had a good support. Three hours. <laughs> yes. Um, and they've had support from Bristol Rovers, um, who are the club we spoke to about last week. Because, um, again, let's take a look at the history of football. When, when Bristol Rovers didn't have anywhere to play, they ended up yep. playing at Twerton Park. Twerton Park, yeah, of course. Um, so, you know, it, it's good to see that there is a, a good relationship between the two clubs. Um, and, and I believe that Bristol Rovers have always played a, a pre-season friendly at Twerton Park as, as a sort of a as a thank you for, for being um, there in, in the hour of need. Um, they've now asked to uh, extend the, they've got what referred to as stretch target of 50 grand because they, they, they want to be able to offer players contracts for next season. Um, so you know, you, you wish them all the best, and and it, it is good to see that uh, that, you know, that fans are, are putting their hands in their pockets. The local one, of the local larger clubs, it has been supportive as well. Um, and with all the bad news in football, these are good news stories. Absolutely, yeah. And I'd like to hear actually if we have any Dorking Wanderers fans listening. I'm sure we do, uh, who are due to be playing Bath in the playoffs. Um, how they're affording it and, and whether they're comfortable doing it because, um, you know, it takes two teams to play a football game. But it is a good news story. And so congratulations to Bath for raising that money and well done Bristol Rovers for helping them out. Um, Colchester United have come up with some quite innovative ways to fund season ticket uh, refunds or not fund season ticket refunds, whichever way you want to put it. Yes. So so what Colchester have done is, first of all, that the, the owner has said, if, if, if your circumstances are that you either want the money back or you need the money back, you know, that's we, we will do our best to get that to you ASAP. So that's the right approach. Then they've got sort of the other things which you, you, you can put it towards next year's season ticket. You can put it towards individual match tickets. Um, but they've also created something called a Club United Fund. And what happens here, and I think this is this is really smart, is that if you don't want your refund this year, your money gets put aside into a separate pot and then the fans vote on how that money is going to be spent. So let's say that they get you know 30 grand uh, or 50 grand back from fans. Um, and, and then what the, the club will do is say, right, well, we can either put that towards improving the training facilities, um, doing this work in the South Stand, uh, putting more money into the academy and every fan who has uh, taken this approach, put money effectively uh, said, I don't want the refund. They will have a democratic vote and it will go um, as to you know, whatever the most fans decide. So you're not just putting money back into the club in general and thinking, well, you now is that going into the, the, the chairman's pocket? Is that going into a yeah. you know, new player, yeah. for, new, new contract for that centre forward? We think it's a bit bobbins or whatever. Um, the club is is being transparent as to how the money is going to be allocated. We'll give, give fans uh, and fans can suggest, uh, make suggestions themselves and, and then a vote's going to be taken. Well, I, I think that is very... Very good thinking from Colchester United, and they are to be congratulated again. It's good that we've congratulated three or four clubs today, which is which makes a change. Because there is nothing at any level of football, Kieran, you and I know, no matter what level of team you support, there is nothing a football fan likes more than feeling that they have some level of involvement in that club. That some, it's it's an investment that goes beyond just buying a ticket or a season ticket or a scarf 
or a shirt with your name on or granddad or whatever it is on the back. So it's it's the same when you meet the people who get involved with, with supporters trusts, with, with club foundations who volunteer to do stuff. They just like to think that they've got a tiny part of the, of the club. So, And if clubs can make that happen, that's that's only got to be good for football, isn't it? If like you talked about Sunderland and open this, if you've got a club that's actually saying to their fans, come along, yeah, join in, we need your help. Because football fans, as we've implied virtually every week from all walks of life, are clever, intelligent people. They've got all sorts of skills that the club could use. So it's good to see a more, for want of a better word, symbiotic relationship between them, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's very progressive. Uh, Lincoln City are doing something very similar. Um, I think that they've said to fans is that if you if you don't want to take the rebaters cash, we will issue you shares, and, and therefore you do become an owner of the club. Um, yeah. and, and you know, and all of these things, uh, I think, I think is showing that um, some clubs um, are taking the view that we, we recognise that without fans, we are nothing. Um, and I think it's testament also to to some of the progressive owners uh, and, and people involved, and it's it's a credit to the game, and it, and it does make you feel slightly warm and fuzzy inside as well. Which which normally after this podcast, you know, if if, if I did drink, I'd probably be heading for one. Yeah, I, I'm disappointed to hear you, that you're not leaving me in a warm and fuzzy mood after every pod, Kieran. But yeah, we'll we'll push that aside for one moment. Um, and talking of crowdfunding and innovation, it says here because I've written it down. Uh, this is the time when I the <laughs> I paint the smile on and and pretend to be enthusiastic about asking for support for the the price of football. Because hey, if if you want to get involved in your football club, that's brilliant. But if you want more involvement in your podcast, now's your chance. Because if you want to support the price of football, you can do so by visiting supporter.acast.com forward slash price of football, price of football even, or the price of football I understand is quite a good podcast too. Uh, so supporter.acast.com forward slash price of football, or you can just click the link if you are already listening in the Acast app. So a big thank you to all of the people who have already supported us, uh, and that includes Matt Buckland, who says, thanks for the fascinating insight into football's money merry-go-round and the Barons' love life. Um, we may do a special one day just on the Baron's Love Life. and We might put that behind the paywall because that would be a good way of raising money. I think. We'll put... <laughs> um, and, and Matt Buckland says, I, I, I guess Matt might be a, a Palace fan because he says, even though Kieran's a Brighton fan, I would happily buy him a lime and soda. That's nice. Um, Thank you. Matt Roberts says he really enjoys the pod and would really appreciate it if we could find a way for Tranmere not to get relegated. We'll, we'll look into that. Matt, we'll look into that. Um, Farhad says, thanks, guys, for the wonderful, insightful pod. I think that might be Farhad who asked our first question from Saudi Arabia uh, the other day. Uh, Andrew, oh, I'm almost too sad to read this out, Kieran. Andrew says, I'm doing my A-levels next year and I really want to get into accounting and football finance. What have we done? Seriously, Uh, Andrew, can I just point out, I know you enjoy the pod. That's brilliant. Thank you for getting in touch. But accounting is not all glamorous women in Moscow, Andrew, I have to point out. There's there's, there's some actual accountancy involved in, in, in the job. I know you've heard Kieran tell stories of nightclubs in Blackpool and Scunthorpe and and most parts of America, but, but Andrew, please, good luck. Good luck with that. But um, he, he, he'd also like to know if we, if we can, Kieran, give him any advice. So perhaps if Andrew wants to get in touch with us again. Just drop drop um, an email. Yeah, drop an email to Kieran. It won't be me giving you advice, Andrew. Um, why don't you try a more sensible, financially secure career like comedy and theatre? 
<laughs> uh, but good luck with your your A levels, Andrew. That's and it's um, good luck with using Kieran as a role model. But yeah, but drop us an email, and Kieran will uh, happily get in touch because we are all about encouraging the new generation. Um, the next comment, I genuinely when this I read this one is from Edgeley Park Paradise, uh, which I genuinely thought was a double barreled name. First of all, it, <laughs> it, it sounded like a Terry Thomas character from a nineteen fifties film, yeah, Edgeley Park Paradise. But um, of course, I've uh, <laughs> looked at it again, realised where Edgeley Park is. Um, uh, Edgeley Park Paradise says top show makes WFH a little easier. Uh, thank you for that. Um, this is a great name, uh, John M fifty four brackets not my postcode. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you for that. Or a road. So John says thank you very much for the information and perspective. Um, Barry in Scunthorpe simply says keep up the brilliant work. And if uh, Barry was involved in your night out in Scunthorpe, it might be not the first time you've heard Barry say those words. But um, <laughs> that's just a selection of people that have, that have been uh, generous enough to support us, and we do thank you all very much. We will be back on Monday with our questions pod, which is rapidly becoming the, the much longer of the two because you keep sending us such good questions. And if you want to send us a question, it's questions at priceoffootball.com. And who have you got this weekend, Kieran? Uh, we've got Norwich away. So oh, God, big, yes, big match have, in the big six. That's a, that's a big, because yes, it's a winnable game for you, isn't it? Because then you've got yep. a tricky running, haven't you? Yeah, we, well, we've yeah. got... Uh, Liverpool and Manchester City are our next two home games, so our yeah. our goal difference could be taking a bit of a hammering. Yes, I, I also think we're recording this um, on the afternoon before it comes out, so it's Wednesday afternoon. I think West Ham Chelsea tonight is probably one of the most important games in West Ham's history because they they really can't afford to get relegated, can they, West Ham? No, no. I mean, it, it, it's it's going to be tough for whoever goes down. There'll be lower parachute payments next year. Yeah. Clearly, potential for no crowds as well. Clubs are going to take a, a massive financial hit if they drop into the championship. Yeah, um, and apologies to any West Ham fans who may have been in quite a good mood uh, who are listening to this on Thursday morning after they've lost to Chelsea. But it may be after you've beaten Chelsea. So let's end on that optimistic note. Kieran, I'll see you next time. Yep, look forward to it. Stay safe, ladies and gentlemen. I'm for the